Good morning, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. It's Thursday, so this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode sometime in the last 10 years. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy our show. This story was first published on March 18th of 2012 under the headline, Oregon's Outback was a real moonshiner's paradise in the 20s. Here we go. In the pre-dawn hours of Monday, March 8th, 1926, a massive explosion suddenly shattered the stillness of a quiet residential street in Bend. Windows shattered. Residents leaped out of bed. Dawn soon broke on a chaotic scene. An apartment house had been torn apart and half of it lay in ruins. No one was killed, but in the heavily damaged house next door, a neighbor had been injured by being buried under debris as she slept. Investigators soon figured out what had happened. Someone had tucked a big charge of dynamite under the apartment house porch. And a motive for the crime wasn't long in presenting itself. The targeted apartment building was occupied by two Oregon Prohibition Commission officers, A.F. Buck Marriott and C.C. McBride. McBride had been involved in a shooting the previous month and had actually killed a bootlegger named Vale Taylor up in Crook County near Prineville. Taylor's associates now apparently wanted revenge. A reward of $750 was offered for the Dynamiters, but the episode remained a mystery and remains so to this day. Oregon was an interesting place under Prohibition. Thanks to Oregon Governor Oswald West, the state of Oregon had an unfair advantage when the Volstead Act went into effect, officially launching Prohibition. You see, Oregon had already implemented something that you could think of as Prohibition Light years before in 1916, and Prohibition Lighter still two years before that. So when Prohibition became the law of the land, Oregon's illicit liquor industry was already up and running. The speakeasies, the smuggling routes, the hidden away stills, all of it was ready to go. For Oregon bootleggers after 1919, the stakes were higher if you got caught, but otherwise it was business as usual. There were a few ways of getting liquor into the state. Folks who wanted to drink something with a recognizable label, something perhaps that had been aged in small oak casks or otherwise rendered tolerable, did business with the Canadians, who shipped bottles of rum and scotch ashore under cover of darkness on board sailing ships. But for those who weren't quite so picky, Oregon was awash with white lightning. And in the late 1920s, when a speakeasy patron raised a glass of that rough-and-ready bathtub booze, he or she was probably looking at a product of central or eastern Oregon. Quote, During Prohibition, the Oregon Outback became the principal source of bootleg whiskey on the West Coast, Prineville historian David Braley writes. At a certain hour late of the night, the sky around Prineville would suddenly light up because of hundreds of stills being fired at the same time. Well, given the size of the sky around Brineville, Braley must have intended this remark to be taken figuratively rather than literally. But the fact is, eastern Oregon is large, lonely, and quiet. 
In the 1920s, it was also full of high desert dryland homesteaders who were hanging on by their fingernails, trying to eke a living out of 320 acres of land that had barely enough forage for a cow or two. For any of these folks lucky enough to have a crick on the claim, prohibition came just in time. A $2 investment in sugar and yeast could pay the bills for a couple months. Local sheriffs and their deputies tried to enforce the law because that's what good cops do. The problem was, Eastern Oregon was one of those places in which most folks knew the sheriff. You couldn't exactly go undercover. And since everybody knew everybody, when a couple state revenue agents came into the area, the word traveled faster than they could. Some Eastern Oregon bootleggers did get caught, of course. Braley recounts one case in which state revenue officers busted a group of men working a still on the Metolius River. Before hauling them off to jail, the revenuers had to help the bootleggers round up their sheep. Plenty of stills got found and destroyed during Prohibition, but plenty more remained faithfully pumping out liquor until 1933 when the 21st Amendment repealed Prohibition and made them unnecessary. Hundreds of them were simply abandoned in knocked-up shacks deep in the canyons and juniper thickets. From time to time, someone still stumbles across one. And a quick side note about Prohibition Officer McBride. Remember the target of the explosion at the beginning of this story? As a Prohibition Officer, this fellow was either uncommonly unlucky or unsettlingly trigger-happy. Two and a half months after the Bend apartment house was blown up in an attempt on his life, he was back in the papers again. This time, he'd gunned down a moonshiner in a raid near Woodburn. According to his report, the outlaw, a man named John Caboris, during the liquor raid, charged McBride firing as he came. McBride shot him dead and wounded one of the other bootleggers as well. Key sources in this story have included works by David Braley, the Oregon State Archives, and back issues of the Portland Morning Oregonian. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. What you've been listening to is one of more than 550 stories originally created and published as newspaper columns in first-run syndication between 2008 and today. You can read them all at offbeatoregon.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulplet Productions, pulp-lit.com, a boutique publishing house owned and operated by yours truly, specializing in audiobook and multimedia editions of the work of the classic pre-war pulp writers. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license type CC by SA 4.0, which basically means you can do anything with the content you like, so long as you A, give me credit for it, and B, whatever you make is also released under a Creative Commons license. But if you need a waiver to either A or B, hit me up, fj at offbeatoregon.com. I've never said no yet to a request for a waiver of one of those conditions. They're generally there just to prevent me from accidentally authorizing the reuse of something I don't actually control the rights to. A good example might be a photograph used by special permission of the rights holder. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Episodes of Offbeat Oregon History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every single weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.